0: Hey everyone, I'm Ashley Asty, and this is I'm Curious Podcast. My guest today is Artie Gans, and oh, how I loved this conversation. A conversation on the energy of love. I'm going to give you a formal introduction to Artie, his story, his work, and then a little informal one about him and what got me so excited about this episode. Artie Gans is the creative who almost never was. A juvenile tried as an adult at the age of 16, he spent 21 years of a life sentence in the California prison system, eight of which included housing within Pelican Bay's notorious Supermax Solitary Confinement Unit. It was here that he evolved past the brutality of his surroundings, as well as the highly political stature he held as a gang leader, committing himself to rehabilitation and nonviolence. Released as a model prisoner by the Board of Parole Hearings in 2015, he then dedicated himself to building a new life, applying the same acumen and intelligence that helped him survive the inhumane conditions of the prison system. He has become a leader in his community, an advocate for legislative reforms, and a member of several social justice organizations. After graduating from a Hollywood-oriented workforce development program, Manifest Works, which he is a current member of the Board of Directors. He rose through the ranks from production assistant to television location scout to producer. He currently works in the television world. His ultimate goal is full-time, high-level producing. He and his writing partners at Spirit Medicine Production are currently shopping several ready-to-pitch projects, including a TV prison drama, Lemon Grove, and raunchy comedy feature, Tres Papas. Additionally, he is the creator and executive producer of the developing series Lessons from a Lifer, oh, it's so good, <laughs> which seeks to bridge the culture between the system impacted and society by highlighting universal wisdoms and commonality. He's writing a book of the same name, a collection of lessons in essay form. He has said: when the door to high-level producing opens for me, I will seek to use this platform to challenge preconceived notions about what it means to be system impacted, and create a fresh narrative as a new voice for this generation of bold storytellers. My entire brand combines my passion and purpose, my passion for filmmaking and my purpose, which is to inspire social justice reform and human empowerment, especially for those seeking diversity, equality, and inclusion. All right, (laughs) so now my informal introduction. What I love about Artie is the way he leads his life with love. It was apparent and felt from the moment we first connected. He exudes a sense of trust and openness, which feels both rare and refreshing. And I must say, and I've been, and I don't know why I keep using this phrase, but I feel like I've been riding high since since this conversation, the energy of love, which already exudes and speaks of, is powerful and vast, and I believe you'll feel it too. We're going to dive into the conversation in just a moment, but first, a little plug. <laughs> after the interview, stay tuned all the way through for a little story about synchronicity that happened after Artie and I recorded this episode. All right, here we go.
1: I need to know everything. Who in the what in where? I need everything. Trust me I hear what you're saying but I like is know what you're telling me I'm curious George I happened to por a 500 a horse' I'm ready for war I'm coming for tros to turn with ghost, I need to know everything now you'll be surprised at the info you get as hey
0: everyone I'm Ashley asti and I'm curious aren't you I'm curious podcast brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it.
1: we ever spoke, I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and what and where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's know what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I happen to the a Porsche, five on a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything, Now they ain't go harder than me.
0: They need to- so should we, should we jump right in?
2: Sure. Let's you go. ready? Let's do this. Yeah. Spread some
0: love. Um, <laughs> all right. So Artie, as I was telling you before, I've been really excited to have this conversation with you. In fact, I was talking to other people all week about you. I'd be like texting friends and be like, there's this guy and I'm going to get to talk to him. And he just embodies love. And that's so refreshing that you lead with love. So like I said, I've been very excited the way you just unite intelligence and compassion and heart. Uh, so I'm grateful mm. that you're joining me.
2: I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm glad that we are finally able to make this happen
0: mm.
2: and uh, definitely ready to have the conversation. And thank you. That's That's very kind. I really... Mm. Um, I love what you're doing. I love um, the direction that you're coming from. I think it's refreshing and I'm very proud and happy and honored to be here to contribute to that for sure.
0: Oh, well, it's mutual. Uh, today we're going to talk about love or the energy of love. And so I wanted to open this by beginning to understand your foundation for love. Growing up, what was your understanding of love?
2: Uh, that's a great question. My I, I did not always have the best experience with love I would say that my journey with with discovering what love is or defining it for myself uh, has certainly been it's been a long journey and it's had ups and downs as as most do but early on I would say that my version of love was sort of a mixed bag I uh, I grew up for those uh, listeners who don't know my story I um, I'm a juvenile lifer. I spent 21 years incarcerated for a crime I committed at the age of 16. I was given a life sentence and tried as an adult. I spent eight of those 21 years in solitary confinement in Pelican Bay, uh, fighting for my sanity. And uh, thankfully, I came out mm-hmm. sane and whole. If not, definitely some work to do with the, uh, all the trauma that I've experienced in my lifetime and still working on that to this day, for sure. Like, I mean, it's a lifelong process, you know, of healing and work, but I, that's my backstory. I, I started out with a very traumatic childhood and I endured a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse. I witnessed a lot of things that children at that age probably should not be witnessing. You know, I watched my mother be physically assaulted by various boyfriends and, and, toxic relationships. Um, I saw rampant drug use and uh, sexual stuff, you know, I probably that I should not have seen at that age. And all of that sort of gave me this version of love and this version of the world that was bleak, uh, certainly darker in tone, darker in nature. But when it's the only thing that you've ever been exposed to, you know, I don't I don't know how the human mind could could not perceive that as, well, this must be reality. This mm-hmm. must be the way that it really genuinely is. This is what I have to look forward to for the rest of my life, you know? Um, but being too young to actually explore those themes or to uh, take a stance in your own individuality and say, hey, this doesn't have to be the case for me. You know, I was too young for, for that. That didn't come mm-hmm. until much later. And, and I always talk about my grandmother. She was a very bright spot in my life, positive influence. For her, I did everything. I got straight A's in school. I was into acting at a very young age. So she put me in the in in the, um she put me in musicals. So I did some theater work as a kid. Yeah. And I mean, working in Hollywood has been a lifelong dream of mine since I was very small. I, I literally was one of those children who was born and knew. This is what I'm going to do when I grow (laughs) up. Yeah. So some of us just know, right. (laughs) And although I had, uh, the traumatic childhood that I had that, that passion still burned in me, uh, my calling, so to speak. And she was there to nurture that. And she definitely did. Unfortunately, my grandmother died when I was 13 and she died of cancer. It took her pretty quickly. And, uh, at that point I, Everything went away for me. I mean, I really didn't have any other bright spot that, at least to my mind, I I saw that was available for me. I just, I gave up on school, I gave up on life, and I just went to a very hopeless, helpless place, Mm -hmm. a very sad place. Love had no, no seat at the table at that point in time, I guess is the way I would say it. Or if it did, it was warped and twisted. Mm. So uh, with that attitude in mind, I I I took my act out on the road. I went to the streets and uh, joined a gang and made them my new family. Mm. And they showed me a different version of love. They showed me a version of love where you could feel this sense of family and this sense of potential, like I could actually rise up in this gang and be a leader one day, you know? And and all I have to do to earn this love is I just, I have to commit certain acts or live a certain lifestyle and be okay with it. But based on the childhood that I had, it was not that difficult for me to, to conform and mm. to basically evolve into that individual. So once again, I, I jumped into a version of love that was very warped. And so my understanding of it was that and then that led me until I was 16 years old. I committed my crime. And then, like I said, I went away for a long time. I didn't come home until I was 37 years old. Mm. By the time I came home, I had a much different version of love. Yeah. So although, although your listeners are going to listen to this and be like, geez, this is kind of heavy. <laughs> it, I, I promise you that it has a very happy full circle ending. Mm. Um, but I, I, just to jump in with you at the start, I would say that my initial understanding of love was very tainted and uh, very warped is the only way I could really describe that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because right before we had started talking, I had actually started reading a book by Bell Hooks called All About Love. It just happened to capture my attention. It came across you know, something I was reading. I was like, oh, I want to get that book. And she says in there, abuse and neglect negate love care and affirmation, the opposite of abuse and humiliation are the foundation of love. But that sometimes essentially, like you said, they can be warped, or there's a sense of confusion where we could say, oh, that person loves me, or I know they care about me, even though they're treating me in a way that's not, in a, they're not treating me with love. Is that sort of what you're describing growing up, this sort of confused or inverted sense of love?
2: Definitely. I mean, if you are being taught that Cause you mentioned how like caring or maybe someone giving you a hug or an attaboy, a pat on the back. These are all affirmations. They're all uh, gestures of love. Right. Mm-hmm. So if that's happening in the context of I'm doing something negative, but I'm getting the same pat on the back, mm-hmm. it's like I could go and I could spend my day and I could feed the homeless at a shelter. Right. And I'd get that pat on the back. Or if I'm a gang member, I can go out to the streets and I can, you know, steal a bike and then take it back to everybody and get a pat on the back. Mm. It's the same sense of love and appreciation deep down, I would Mm. say. Uh, And I don't know if it's neurological or, you know, what the science is behind that, but whatever it is, it's the same amount of emotions. It's the same amount of uh, chemicals going on in your brain and in your heart. And so, Yeah, it definitely is that. Like you could take a concept like that and you can just totally apply it to something that's negative. And that is how uh, negatives are positively reinforced and they become habitual.
0: Right. (laughs) I'm so glad you expressed that because you're still getting that sense of connection and that sense of belonging. It's just coming for different actions, um, which makes sense. So we're going to jump ahead. You said at 16, you're incarcerated eventually, I think around 23 is when you're put in solitary confinement. Is that true?
2: Yes, it was around that time. Yeah.
0: And at this point, you know, you've lost, you've lost your grandmother, you've lost your connection to your dreams and who you thought you were, your longings, your sense of self. You don't yet have a genuine understanding of love. And you're put in this space where I mean, it's, I'm going to use the word dark for so many reasons, but one, there's no end date, right? Like you you have no idea. No one says like you're going to come out in this amount of time or, you know, this <laughs> right. is when this torture is going to end. So just <laughs> perpetual. Yeah. And then you're experiencing this complete deprivation of human contact. Uh, no, no sunlight on your skin. I think you've sat or you know, like no touch. Can you describe what that does to you or what that was like?
2: If, if anything will reinforce in your mind that you are not worthy of love, or even the version of it that you understand is the correct version, even if it's a negative one, it is being in solitary confinement. Uh, I, I was placed in Pelican Bay's Supermax facility. It, it was somewhere around 23. I, was in, I know I was in my like, early to mid twenties and I, I ended up being there for a total of about almost eight years. We are talking about 22 and a half hours a day on, on lockdown in the cell. You have access to a very small yard that is adjacent to your pod that you live in, which is only eight cells. Every single cell is one person. You will never touch another human being unless there's an accident. Uh, You will never feel direct sunlight on your skin. Uh, It's a very quiet place. And this yard, this little yard is is built, it's adjacent to your pod. You literally walk from your pod through a door out into a yard that has 25 to 30 foot high concrete walls. And at the top of that is a mesh wire gate kind of thing on top of this square cage you're in and you get to see a patch of sky.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, Unfortunately, based on the location of that facility, you will never actually see the sun because it will not pass over that portion of your patch of sky uh, throughout the day. So I didn't see the sun for many years. And uh, if, if there's anything that will tell you like, you're not worthy of love or this is what love is, it's that, you know, so I lived in that for a long time and all it did was reinforce negative views or ideas I had about love, you know, and, at this time, I was very much entrenched in gang politics. I had I had done what I set out to do. I had I had worked my way up, and um, had power and authority. Um, and, and you had this version... power and
0: authority. This happens inside prison, right? You could. Yes. Still... Okay. <laughs>
2: right, and I and I I mean, to me, it was like all the only thing I knew about love at that point was I I have love for the cause that I'm fighting for. And this cause loves me. It was made for people like me, right? It, they will literally take your young mind and they will deconstruct it and give you this. It's very cultish. <laughs> and they will like rewire your brain. And then so you're thinking about love is like, this is love. It, I am destined to be a, uh, like a cause fighter, a freedom fighter for the rest of my life. And you actually think that all the while being physically isolated in a single cell with no material items no possessions no actual freedom and being thankful for the process mm. that's how warped it, it became thankfully I, I eventually got out of that but um but as you described like I, I did spend many years in that hole and in that hole i started to have a lot of different realizations and insights that I'm, I'm glad and happy that we're going to start talking about.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I, I do want to just follow up on one more thing though. So I was talking to a friend recently who's on death row and, and still is. Yeah. And I was asking him just I have, at night, I, I have the very vivid dream. So I asked him, Oh, do you dream at night? And he talked about his dreams and he said, he dreams about different women. He dreams about just being able to hold a woman's hand about touch, about love in all sorts of ways that he'll never get to experience again. And you were, going into this as a lifer at 16 how does that not just make you angrier and fr- like how, how you're you're talking about you started essentially rekindling a sense of connection to yourself a connection to love to not this like cause in the the gang world but yeah. to something deeper how do you make that movement from that place of like hopelessness and despair to uh, this connection to aliveness
2: you know uh, one of the things that is has come out of late Um, I'd say in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of reforms in the social and criminal justice uh, movements uh, and in that space. Uh, One of those is the understanding that juvenile brains are just wired differently than adult brains. Mm. And it affects our judgment. It affects decision making. It's impulsive. You know, the juvenile brain and the science has now started to catch up with legislation and, and judicial decision making. And I definitely benefited from that, but I am also an example of it as well, because by the time I started getting to about my mid-20s, about 25, 26, this is when my brain just naturally started to mature Mm. and I started to come out of it enough to be like, hey, there's some cracks in the facade here of what I'm being told. You know, you're, you're telling me that I'm fighting for this and yet your actions are that, mm-hmm. and that's counter to, you know, and I could give ex- specific examples around that, but mm-hmm. I don't really need to. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, I was seeing the contradictions and what I was being told and what was being shown to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to question those things at that age, as my brain started to mature And thankfully, the answers that I was receiving to these questions were not sufficient. I I was not satisfied with them at all. I saw them for the BS that they were. And so once I started to have those thoughts, I started to realize, well, I have been so wrong about this. This lifestyle I have been living is based on a lie. It is a very genius construct that has been developed by men to control other men for the purposes of financial gain and power. Mm. Uh, essentially, I realized that I was a pawn on a chessboard. Yeah. That's what I like to tell people. It's like the pawn becoming aware that, holy crap, I'm a pawn, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and that's that's basically what happened to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, nah, man, I was born to be a king. I'm not going to be a pawn. Oh,
0: I love right? that, Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was born to be a king on this board, man, you know, in my own way, whatever that right. should mean, you know? destined for greater things. I was not actually meant to be here. Mm. And so when I realized I was wrong about that, I started to ask myself, what else am I wrong about? Mm. And before I could explore that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this entire lifestyle. I'm going to put my life in danger and I'm going to walk away.
0: Mm. And I
2: did. I, I told my mother I was leaving. I walked away from it all. And that is when my journey of self-exploration and inner work really started to begin, uh, really began. Um, That is when I started to have these transformational, uh, you know, these transformational levels of like human evolution taking place inside yeah. of me uh, to become the person that is talking to you now.
0: Hmm. I, so I want to ask you about one of those transformational moments. Uh, you'd actually described it on its needed podcast, which is great. That's both of those episodes. Oh right yeah! By, uh, Shout out
2: Ryan Tillman, man, right? and AJ. Oh. Yeah, Billy. I love their I mission. Love
0: Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So everyone should check that out. Um, but you were talking about it on there, and you said that through the help of a mentor, you had this moment where, up until this moment, you kept thinking that your victim would have hated you, would have wanted you to suffer, only wanted retribution. And then you had someone say something to you to imagine it in a different way. Can you describe that?
2: Absolutely. Uh, first things first, shout out to the It's You podcast, Ryan Tillman, AJ, Billy. If you guys get a chance, please go and listen to their podcast, mm-hmm. follow them, subscribe to their YouTube. Uh, these guys are true bridges between the community and law enforcement. They're trying to make changes they are all about reform. Love these guys. Because
0: they're law My enforcement brothers. and you and they had you on the show, just to clarify. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: because I also am functioning as a bridge. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, in this day and age, I really feel it's important that we all take an individual stand and refuse to be pulled into extremes. Yeah. Progress is found in the middle. It's not found mm-hmm. on the ends. So this is what they represent. So I'm always happy to support them. I love these guys. Mm-hmm. So but I did mention that you're right, I, um, I went through this phase of as I started to like transform and change myself and work on myself, I realized what I had done. I finally had the moment of realization of the harm that my actions had caused to my victim and to other victims that came after that or even before that. And when I finally had this sense of the harm that I had caused. It, it had a profound effect on me. I mean, it was it was immense levels of shame and guilt and remorse, hard to explain on a podcast, you know. Uh, but it was it was so profound for me that one, I realized I can never ever harm another human being again. Uh, that cannot happen again. Uh, two, I realized I owe an immense debt to my victims and to society at large. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that, but I'll, I'll figure it out. So that's where I started. Um, I started doing 12 step work. I got a sponsor and my sponsor, rest in peace to Vern Kritz, uh, amazing man. Uh, he, he took me through the process. And as I started to make amends to victims, I realized a very sad truth. I was not going to be able to make amends to my victim because my victim was no longer alive. My victim was not going to be around. Uh, And then the example I always like to use is if I steal $50 from Ashley, I can give it back to you later with an apology and I can never steal again, right? I can truly make amends or repent for what I've done. I I cannot restore life. And because I cannot restore life, it is impossible for me to make full 100% amends for what I've done. And so this mental trap that I had put myself in, and and this revolves around love big time because it reinforced like even more. Like I just, I, not only am I undeserving of love, Mm. but I think it's actually part of my punishment to be disconnected from and unable to attain it. So what I did was I decided, I realized the true punishment for my crime was not the bars. It wasn't the glass, It wasn't the systemic oppression. It wasn't the the abuse by guards, all the violence and trauma that I had sustained all those years, that was actually surface level punishment. Mm -hmm. My true punishment was I had to attempt to make amends or atone for what I had done, Mm -hmm. fully conscious of the fact that I was gonna fail every time, but I had to do it nonetheless, right? In this way, I honor my victim by giving myself my just punishment. Uh, And then to fast forward, Eventually my sponsor growing tired of that, (laughs) trying to get (laughs) me out of it. You know, he's like, dude, you have to find a way to get past this man. Like, you know, uh, he finally pointed out to me, he said, you know, we always look at our victims from the standpoint of the part of them that hates us, Mm -hmm. the part of them that we hurt. And so that side of my victim that wanted me to suffer that, that was mad at me for what I've done the anger that his family must feel towards me. Like I was doing everything in my power to honor that. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, I'm re-victimizing him Mm -hmm. because I'm completely ignoring the other half of him, the son that his mother loved, Mm -hmm. the love that he carried in his heart, the the compassionate, empathetic individual that he must have been, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm really gonna repay my debt, I need to honor that side of him as well. And he pointed out to me that side of him loves you despite what you've done
0: mm. would
2: not want you to suffer so if you truly want to honor your victim honor 100 percent of him mm. not just half of him because you're doing him a disservice as well as yourself and so once that happened then I was able to finally achieve some level of self-forgiveness mm. and I started to realize oh love is the answer here mm-hmm. love is the answer because it was such a gateway um with my dealing with what I had done to my victim, mm-hmm. that I started to understand I've been so wrong about love. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I start to live my life according to what I feel love, how love is defined, I may actually see much more transformational effects in my life and I may actually be the cause of a lot more healing in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get into this part of that journey.
0: Yeah, that, that feels revelatory to me. But I think, I mean, you're giving an extreme example, but so many of us in the world don't always see from the side of love seeing, I think it's so hard to see ourselves as beings of yeah. love and also to see other people as beings of love, especially, pe- especially people we might have felt like we wronged. Uh, and that when you start embodying that, it creates that ripple effect. And I think that's why I was so excited to speak with you because just by you leading with love <laughs> in your life as who you are now, and who, I think who you always have been, who we all are at our core, it influenced me and I wanted to spread that. And I think that's part of the power. So, and I think we were speaking the other day and I think this connects with vulnerability because you have the courage to be vulnerable to show your vulnerabilities. And we were talking on the phone and you were sitting outside of a Starbucks and you were telling me a story and I love, because in the middle of it, you were touched by it and so you start crying and you're almost laughing about, about it afterwards because you're teasing like you're in outside of a Starbucks in front of other people. First time you and I were talking and you start crying. But you said that there was a moment where the first time you allowed yourself to cry like fully in front of a group of men, that that was liberating and clarifying. So can you take us back to that moment and then discuss how that was liberating?
2: You know, I, I want to say that love... Um, and we'll get more, we get further into what love is, as far as like my definition of it. But I, I want to say that love is expressive in so many ways, including tear shed, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Love is courageous. It's so courageous. And to have the courage to actually expose yourself to a room full of people, to sit outside of a Starbucks surrounded by strangers and to allow yourself to cry because the emotion moves you um, is truly in alignment with love because you're being guided by the courage of that love, of that energy. Um, so, but I didn't start out that way. Of course not. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I do. I remember the first time I cried in front of a group of men, uh, which from my background was like an unthinkable thing, you know, p- m- uh, more part of the warped way of being raised and brought up. Um, men don't cry. Right. Yeah. We don't have such weaknesses we're, we're, you know, for some reason we were born with tear ducts, but I don't know why they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what I was doing in this group was I was recounting, um, I was recounting the story of my grandmother who ended up bedridden towards the end of her struggle with cancer. She, she died at home. And so we had a nurse who would come in every day and, um, and she was bedridden. And towards the end, she was on a, on a lot of drugs, you know, for pain, uh, kind of in and out of consciousness. And, uh, I came home from school and I don't know why, but I went into her room and I think something just Something about the environment or something about the way I was feeling in that moment told me she was close. So I couldn't tell if she could hear me or anything like that. She looked completely out of it,
0: mm.
1: you
2: know, and I told her, you know, everything. I love you. Mm. I'm going to miss you. Um. <laughs>
0: mm. oh. No, you don't need to apologize for it. And please take your time.
2: This too. um, mm. I have never been able to tell this story without crying. (laughs) Not a single time.
0: Mm.
2: Um, And I was talking about how I was saying goodbye to her and uh, oh, I, she heard me. (laughs) She heard me. And uh, she told me that uh, that she loved me, too. Mm. I, I don't know how on all the drugs and, you know, mm. but she heard me. Um, she gave me a real gift in that moment,
0: mm.
2: you know, the gift of goodbye.
0: Yeah,
2: We don't all get that. Mm. So, um. So I was telling that story to the group of men and uh, (laughs) I just broke down, kind of like right now, but much more the first time, Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, much more. And, uh, you know, like I was telling you, it was like full on like sobbing and Mm -hmm. snot and, you know, Mm -hmm. I need Kleenex and all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, It it wasn't a bad story, it was a beautiful one. It's just, you know. I guess I didn't realize how much I was caring since that moment. Mm. And so, you know, we might even been talking about love. I don't remember what the actual subject was in that group that day or the topic, Mm. because it was a process group. But I was the facilitator of it. Like I was, Uh. (laughs) you know, leading the group. So it was like it was great because uh, it really gave them a clear example, too, of that expression. Mm. And so I just let let it go. And, you know, after that, I was never afraid to cry in front of people ever again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and uh, I find that it's very healing. And like I said, I find that it's expressive. But I also think it's like a gesture of love, because I think mm-hmm. tears come from love. Mm-hmm. If, if it didn't, then why would you be moved to have such a physical reaction?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You no. Know? Only if it's grounded in love. Sometimes we cry because someone cheats on us or Mm. um, someone harms us in some way or we're we're resentful, you know? But what people don't understand is that underneath all of that is you've been touched by love. Yes. (laughs) And that's why it is affecting you the way that it is.
0: Mm.
2: You know, even if it's just your best friend who like, you know, started talking to your boyfriend after you guys broke up, like, Mm. you know, you love your best friend. So that's why it hurts the way that it does because hurt, although it's pure, uh, can be diminished and uh, treated bad, mis- you know, mistreated by us throughout the human experience. Mm. So I learned a lot of lessons that day, but one of them was to be courageous and not be afraid to express myself in any form of love
0: mm. um,
2: because I'm a loving being. Mm.
0: So. <laughs> oh, that was oh beautiful. And, and thank you for your courage in continuing to share and, and show that. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the writer Glennon Doyle was speaking and she was saying something like, we always say, follow your bliss, follow your happiness. But she said, what about follow your heartbreak? And it's sort of connecting to that because Beneath that yeah. heartbreak is that, that energy of love or that energy of longing, or there's something that will connect you in that heartbreak, like the way that the world might break your heart in certain ways. If you start to go out into that, you'll find the other people who it also breaks their heart in that way, too, and who are perhaps working to create that change or that transformation. And so you just sort of crystallized it for me when you said that. You do this, you know, you're, you have your own show now, Lessons from a Lifer. and yeah. I'm curious if you were to, I I guess, talk to like young men today and talk to them about love of these lessons that you've gotten. What would you say to them? Because I think the other thing that surprised me about you pleasantly is that like I said, when you lead with love or the way you post on social media, you text, you use loving emojis, you use hearts, which men like are taught to like, oh, God, like that's kind of cool <laughs> you, don't, right. you don't ever lead with love. You don't say anything <laughs> kind or warm to people. Um, and you just seem to do that across the board. So what what would you say to them?
2: You know, I, I really think that, you know, from the, from the male experience, from the masculine side of things, I think that it's time for a redefinition. Uh, (laughs) in society, I feel like we're moving towards that anyway, but, uh, I I think that there's been a lot of stereotypes and a lot of, uh, cultural, you know, gender based, uh, misunderstandings, you know, that, that have taken place over many, many years. This is how men are supposed to act. This is how they're not supposed to act. This is, and I feel like when we start to try to like box in the male experience, Uh, What we're doing is we're actually compartmentalizing what it is to have a full range of human emotions and human experience. Mm. You know, I would say that we only get to live once. Some would argue with that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's cool. You know what I mean? But (laughs) if we do only get to live once, then why wouldn't you want to experience the full gamut Mm. of the human experience? Like, why wouldn't you want the whole tone and range color and and colors Mm -hmm. of of that experience, right? And I think that from the time that I was born and raised, I was taught that men act and and our responses are a certain way. It was manly for me to respond violently to stimuli.
0: Mm.
2: You know, I, I wasn't permitted by my circumstances to uh, cry because a kid tried to you know what take my lunchbox mm-hmm. at school you know and then go tell the teacher like he tried try to take my lunchbox right mm-hmm. I wasn't permitted to do that because my experiences were no you have to put somebody down for that mm-hmm. you that's what men do they, they they have such a respect for themselves and I feel like over time as I started to mature I realized you, but I'm just diminishing and minimizing i'm degrading myself really but i'm minimizing myself to like a single aspect of what it means to be male Mm. and by the way anyone is capable of violence or if necessary you ever heard of a mama bear you know (laughs) like i mean they they, that's part of the the full gamut of experiences Mm. for the female side of of the experience right so i think that we have sort of been roped in here and i What I would tell people, especially youngsters, is it's okay for you to show emotion. It's okay to say, I'm hurt by Mm -hmm. A, B, and C. It's okay to say, I I still have healing I need to do. It's okay to ask for help. Mm. It's okay to say, I don't know how. Mm. It's okay to say, I'm sad today. And the reason why is because I have learned that by being openly expressive about that, actually, I'm, I feel like I'm much more in my masculine. Yes. <laughs> I truly am. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if I am to shelter myself and to prevent myself from doing those things, to express myself in that way, what is that other than I'm just cower, coward, coward, yes. you know, I'm like I'm 100%. expressing cowardice. And yeah. I'm like hiding myself and shielding myself because I don't want anyone to see my vulnerability. Mm. I don't want anyone to see that I'm scared or that I'm hurt, right? So if by your definition, if this is what a man is, <laughs> then what are you doing right now? Because a man should <laughs> never hide from their feelings, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I would just tell him, hey, just be open. And at the same time, I know that if there's anyone who listens to this who's just not there yet, it's cool. Like mm. these, these lessons didn't come to me right away. This is something that has happened later in life. Um, Like you said, I'm creating this series called Lessons from a Lifer.
0: Mm.
2: This series is meant to impart uh, wisdom that many, many lifers have that I have known in prison. Uh, I'm not unique. I know so many lifers like myself Mm. right now who are incarcerated right now, who mentored me and taught me the things that I know or helped me to get there. They guided me, right? Um, there's a lot of wisdom in prison. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I can somehow communicate that to the non-formally incarcerated space, then what I can do is I can function as a bridge between myself and you. And we can start to see commonalities in the experience. If we can see commonalities in the experience, we realize we have more in common than we do differences. Mm -hmm. And therefore, maybe I'm not as scary as you thought I was. Yeah. Maybe I'm hurting just like you're hurting, but we're just hurting in different ways. But however, we are both hurting. Mm. So can we help to heal each other? Is there a, is there a middle ground here? This is not to say that my series is advocating for um, no accountability. Right. <laughs> you know, I certainly committed a crime. I I did my time.
0: Mm.
2: You know, I, I I'm I'm the first to say that. Uh, what I would say though is that. Did I need to have the full range of 21 years of traumatic prison experience? No, what I needed was love. Mm. What I needed was compassion. I needed somebody to actually start me on that process of deep inner work years Mm. before I got to that point. And that wasn't available. It's not very available in the society. Lessons from a lifer is hoping to change that. Mm. I want kids who are 12, 11, to start to understand what it means to do deep inner work. To start to be connected to themselves and to the universe, to feel that connectivity around with people around them, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for you to victimize someone if you see their humanity and you can sense it when you're around them. So I want to be that bridge. I'm also writing a book right now that's also called Lessons from a Lifer, mm-hmm. and every chapter will uh, every chapter will impart a story from my life and then some wisdom. Like a, there's a chapter on self forgiveness. There's a chapter mm-hmm. on uh, insight. I might do a chapter on love Mm, right Um, and then at the end of each chapter will be sort of like a call to action to individuals who are not formally incarcerated like my my example might be an extreme one here's how you can apply it in your life Mm -hmm. you know so that way and and again this is all meant to be a bridge right and then for your listeners who didn't who don't know uh, i also work in the film industry i did end up realizing my goals and my dreams Mm. Um, I work in the film industry, I am producing, I'm location scouting, I get to work on a lot of the biggest TV shows you guys are watching right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have like that whole side of my world. And, and, and all of this was possible by just tapping into love
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and, and tapping into the connectivity uh, and that transformational space that's available to all of us. If we just have the courage to pursue it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to underscore what you said with the courage, because I think, like you said, we almost try to insulate ourselves from that full range of experience, because that means you have to experience the lows, you have to experience the highs, you have to experience... The void, the darkness, the uncertainty, the ecstasy, all of those things together. But that can be terrifying as much as it is thrilling. And so it takes mm. a real man or a real woman or whatever you want to identify to step into that right. and, and face it all and, and allow yourself to not just be fine or just go through it or numb yourself out to both ends of that. The other thing, you you use the word like you're a bridge Um And so I guess a little bit from my experience, that's why I'm having this conversation now. What led me here is because when I, five or six years ago, read a book about incarceration, had never thought about it my whole life, because that's how I grew up, didn't know anyone who was incarcerated, it was like a foreign thing, you just see it on CSI or whatever on on TV, and I thought, (laughs) I read that book, and I was like, oh my god, I need to like get involved in some way, and so I I started writing letters, and I I found this woman who was about my age in her, you know, early 20s, and she was incarcerated in Texas, and I wrote a letter, and it started by me saying, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, I was like, I I want you to know that I see you and you're not alone. Like I was sort of like, I wanted her to know these things about like, and what surprised me was the way that she saw me too. The way she, you know, and that now I'm like, of course that's not a surprise that any relationship is mutual. And that when you see someone, they rise back up and see you as well. And so it was this give and take. And what I discovered along the way is how much wisdom there is, like you said, amongst people who are incarcerated, um, that they're having these conversations, they're philosophizing, they're discussing these things. So speaking of the bridge, which is what you're doing now, uh, do you have any particular lessons in terms of love with this current moment in our, our nation? As we're, It's just like a reckoning with like what feels like disparate parts in so many ways. Do you have any message about love in this moment?
2: Yes, I... I feel like society in general could benefit from tapping into it a little bit more, a lot, a bit more. <laughs> um, I, we have, we have become a nation of extremes. We really have. It's, it's, it's either, or there's just, there's no space for middle ground. You know, we mm-hmm. see it in Congress. We see it in, uh, in politics. We see it out here in the streets with, in in, and, and all versions of protests, right? We see like, you know, and everyone has this real sense of, I know that I'm right, you know? And, and I'm not knocking anyone for feeling that way. But what I am saying is that when, when that is the case, then you're not even leaving room for being wrong. You're not leaving room for growth or exploration or, you know, that is actually anti-love. Love is open. Love calls you forward to growth. Love doesn't is not closed off. You know what I what I try to say to people um, and I've said it in the past is that I think that we call it love because that's the only way that our human minds can define it, but I think that what love really is is an unseen force. It permeates the universe. Mm. It connects all things. We are all made up of the same substance, the same universal material, right? And I think that when we feel a sense of love towards someone or something, it is my vibration is matching with yours. Yes. Because <laughs> the substance that makes you and makes me, something about us together is it feels attuned. Mm. And what we experience as that attunement is what we call love. And and with others, some would, it could be stronger than with others, right? Mm. There's just something about that person or that thing. Mm. I also feel that love is pure, it is not tainted by racism or politics or systemic oppression or abuse. Uh, it's not tainted by bias or bigotry. None of those things, prejudice, mm-hmm. love is pure. It's the human experience that takes love and does what with it what it will, right? So the call to action for us is don't taint love. Don't attempt to taint it, You know, leave yourselves open to it. Because if you do, you might find yourself to be more in tuned with what you're claiming to hate if you just actually gave yourself the opportunity to open up to it. Mm-hmm. And remember that love is not closed. It doesn't close off. If it permeates the universe and it's in all things, it's impossible to close. So it's only like a shallow mind or a closed mind that actually would do this to itself. And for many years, that's what I did. I closed myself off from the world and I, w- I sat in this cell but I was right (laughs) oh it was so nice to be right yeah I was right but how much did I suffer for being right Mm. you know it it wasn't until I admitted I might be wrong here or I may have room for change and growth that love was let back in to the conversation Mm. and then what happened was as I changed I ended up getting moved to a different uh, part of the prison state prison system where then I was exposed to like, Oh, suddenly I'm, I'm in the cell with someone who was once my enemy Mm. and I, and I get to befriend this person, get to know about their families. And wow, this person's actually amazing. And two years ago, like we would have been at each other's throats. And now like, I can't wait to come back from my work assignment so we can like make, make this food together and like uh-huh. listen to some music and, and laugh. And you know, mm-hmm. um, that would not have been possible if I was closed off to love, you know, so my message for society is just that we need more of it. Love is not extreme in the sense of it's not pushing you to extremes. Love pushes mm-hmm. us towards compromise. Love pushes us towards empathy actually putting yourself in the shoes of somebody else who's suffering Mm. and trying to understand them through their experience, not the judgment that you carry about it from your own. So that's probably my message. And that's the only reason why I could like, I could sit with Ryan Tillman who's a law enforcement officer and I could sit with him and, you know, I I call this man, my brother, like he's a friend, you know, he's a real friend. I love him. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm okay to say that, you know, I know what he does for a living, but I also know who he is. And so knowing him it is impossible for me to say, oh, to heck with all law enforcement. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't say him to, to love him is to, is to not be able to say that, mm. you know, I, because that would just come from a different, a uh, different place that actually comes from hate. You know, and, uh, and honestly, I I have started to give hate a lot more thought lately as Mm -hmm. we've been experiencing these things today. And one thing that I have seen about hate is that it is probably the biggest projection of self. Mm -hmm. Basically, I hate the things that I hate because I hate those parts of myself. Yes. You know, uh, I am so insecure Mm. that I find power in hatred. It gives me a sense of belonging. It gives, it, it gives me the false sense of love to actually mm. hate. I, I've, I've done much, a lot of time with white supremacists mm. who have told me, I don't hate black people. I just love white people, right? Not understanding what they're actually saying. Mm. You know, that's that warped version of love them am talking about. Right. And at these same people have told me like, I, oh, I could never live around homosexuals mm. or Jewish people. You know, they, they have these extreme uh, mm. views towards these individuals, right? And then when I ended up in a facility where people were mixed together,
0: mm.
2: a lot of those former white supremacist gang members were now actually coming out openly as homosexual.
0: Wow, and
2: now had uh, African American cellmates, and and you're just looking at it. You're not judging. You're not laughing, or or, you know, there's no snide remarks or anything. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it really made me understand. Like, you hated for so long because that was a part of yourself, Mm -hmm. and you were afraid to be honest about who you really were. You were afraid to love yourself enough. You didn't have the courage to love yourself enough to be open about who you really were. And so you hid behind this mask, but really it was a huge projection
0: yeah. and
2: that's what's happening in America right now
0: mm. on a
2: macro scale. Yeah. It's a huge projection.
0: So- yeah. It's so clarifying, it's like displaced that insecurity or that lack of self-love onto something else.
2: Exactly. It's not to say, I mean, systemic racism in this country is a real thing. Yes. <laughs> it very much was founded on those principles. It, it, that is a real thing. The solution though is going to require all of us to come together and it's going to mm-hmm. require an education. It's going to require us to stop projecting self-hate yes. and actually tap into love because mm-hmm. you won't be able to understand or accept that systemic racism is a thing Until you love someone enough to Mm -hmm. live in their experience and be like, oh, I could see how that's possible. I could Mm -hmm. also see how I would be closed minded to it because it hasn't been my experience. Mm -hmm. So love is what opens us up.
0: That's brilliant. Oh, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thinking about love is open. And I also think in order to get to know your neighbor. In order to love your neighbor, you have to get closer to them. That's what you're saying. Now that you know Ryan, Absolutely. you know, you can't say all law <laughs> enforcement is bad because you know the human being and you love him. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you your definition of love. We will get there. And I actually have a few like lightning round questions I want to get to, but I have one last thing that I, I had wanted to ask you, um, switching gears slightly, still in love though. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day with the famed therapist, Esther Perel, and she was talking about passion and this erotic intelligence but we've limited our notion of what the erotic is to so just think it's inside something that happens inside couples but she's saying this passion is really connected to aliveness so it's something that happens in our work and our friendships it can happen she said people who are in revolutionary movements have this passion right this aliveness yeah. feeling And so essentially it's the antidote to loneliness, to isolation, to this sense of nothingness. And it's another type of love, a passionate type of love, a sense of calling or soul awakening. And so you're nodding your head. I'm curious. Do you you know that feeling? Do you feel that feeling in (laughs) your life? Yes,
2: absolutely. Like when I was talking to you about like vibration and attunement with someone else, Uh that's really what that is. It's like on a cellular level, you're dancing,
0: Yes. Oh, right. Because you that. feel
2: that connectedness and you feel the attunement. That's passion.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that is what she I think she's describing. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. she brought that up um, and that she's aware of it. I think more people need to be aware of that. But that's really what mm-hmm. that is. It's like mm-hmm. if you if you have you if you have ever been around like a, a small infant or a baby and you put music on, a baby <laughs> will naturally start to dance to it. Yeah. But you see, it's not that the baby understands what the music is. It's the attunement. It's the mm. vibration there. It's the love that's coursing through the baby on a very, very minute, micro level. And it cannot help but move because everything within it is moving. Mm. Right? Babies aren't tainted. They're, they're pure. Yeah. So they only, they function purely off of vibration. So that's what you're experiencing. And and what happens later in life is we kind of like numb that out Mm -hmm. through the human experience and through trauma and all of these things. I'm trying to tell people get back to that attunement. It's okay to feel that vibration again, like dance like a baby, (laughs) start to love the music again. You know what I mean? So I'm glad she brought that up. That's dope.
0: And that's, that's the best description I've ever heard of a baby dancing to music before. Uh, and the, the poet yeah, right. wants, wants to borrow that description of like, it's like our cells are dancing that sense of attunement. And I think- yeah. That's why when you've stepped into this love and you've aligned with yourself, it's not like you've gone outside to find something. You've come into attunement, into alignment with who you are. I think that's why you're attracting the work that you're doing in your life. You're attracting the people that you're doing because you've tapped into that aliveness feeling into who you are. And that's, that's all love. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, all right.
0: I've got some lightning round questions for you. Ready? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we're going to start, I guess this is sort of a big one. Uh, yes or no. Do you believe in fate? Uh,
2: yes. With, with the exception that I, I believe that we have uh, choice and power over mm-hmm. uh, sort of guiding it. Yeah. You know, I think that it, in other words, I think that it, it can be affected by free will.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. All right. I like that answer. Um, this is where I was going to ask you to finish the sentence. Love is.
2: I want to say that love is God. Mm. What people would call God.
0: Mm. Yeah. When something happens that and it triggers you, and you notice you want to close down or close off rather than open to love or see the love in someone else, what's the first thing that you do in that moment when you catch yourself closing instead of opening? I'm
2: not always able to, you know. <laughs> I still—it's the human experience. I struggle yeah. sometimes, but uh, but the 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 self-talk, the one that I like to use for myself is, I will say, I always tell people, take a moment, even if it's just a second. To be like, I might be wrong here,
0: Mm.
2: you know, but the answer is always this empathy, Mm. just try to empathize, like just tell yourself empathize. So it's what I strive to do every single time because it's only through empathy that I'm really going to be able to relate to someone I don't know or understand an experience Mm. I've not lived. So that's the answer for sure.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, these are just for fun. So the last TV show that you binged and loved.
2: The last TV show that I binged and loved was Queen's Gambit.
0: Oh, I've heard great things. I haven't seen it yet.
2: Oh, my goodness. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try it. And, and I now. played a lot of chess, obviously. Right. As a <laughs> yeah. person formerly incarcerated, I played a lot of chess. Uh, I used to play uh, chess on postcards with people around the country. Wow. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. Look at you. <laughs> no,
2: so th- this series was amazing and it's funny because i play the king queen's gambit when i play
0: see oh look at that look at the things we learned about you um, so we talked about this before you have your own show lessons from a lifer who's your dream guest on the show
2: uh if i could have anyone on lessons from a lifer Oh, I'd I'd have to go with Barack Obama.
0: Oh, good one. Yeah. I, I would
2: love I would love to sit with Barack Obama and just have. I mean, he's such a wise wise man. You know, mm. just to hear his ideas and thoughts and how we connect somewhere in the middle. Like, I mean, that would just be epic for me.
0: <laughs> I I definitely want to see that. So we're putting that out there into the universe. Yeah, we're putting it out there.
2: We need Obama. <laughs> yes. yeah. a, a very close, like tied for first, would yeah. probably be Oprah.
0: Oh, I, another, oh, come on. And also, I feel like given what you, <laughs> yeah. what you do and the way you ask questions and that would, she'd be great one, you know. Just yeah. To, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a, a, along a similar vein. So I'm going to ask you to pick someone other than the two you just said, but if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be?
2: Uh, actually, if I could have dinner with anyone dead, it would probably be, uh, it'd probably be Nipsey Hussle or Tupac. Mm-hmm um if I could have dinner with anyone alive I've always said oh I would love to sit down and have a meal with Jay-Z and just pick his brain <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness he's a boss he's he's <laughs> he's doing it Beyonce too you know but, oh, I, yeah, but I just I've always been a Jay-Z fan from like you know his music got me through so much you know what I mean so
0: all right so I'll sit down with Beyonce you can sit down with Jay-Z I think that's <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Um, All right, the last one, uh, your greatest wish is?
2: My greatest wish, I think my greatest wish is uh, collective healing. Mm. It it would really be amazing if we could heal as a culture and as a community and society to get back to a point where it's like, oh, I just love these people because they're human, you know, or they're life forms. You know, I love animals because they're life forms. I love humans because they're life forms. I love plants because they're life forms. It would be great if we could heal to such a point as that and uh, not be so convoluted with, um, with circumstances that we don't get to take with us when we die.
0: Yeah.
2: We're so preoccupied with all of those things. But the truth is, you don't get to take it with you when you're gone. Yeah. At the end of the day, the saying is, we all cry for our mamas at the end. Yeah. And that is love. Love.
0: I'm going to give you the last word here. Is there anything else you want to say about love? Anything that you feel like we haven't touched on that you need to get out?
2: I, well, I, yeah. um, So the definition I already gave you that, which was, I feel like it's like this, uh, it's this thing that permeates the universe. It's been there Mm -hmm. forever. Um, We call it love, but it's just that, that energy, right? It's Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's what makes everything sort of like the fabric of the universe, even itself, you know. Um, But what I would also say about love is that if you, if you and I were to stand face to face less than a foot apart, I mean, just Mm -hmm. gazing into each other's eyes Mm -hmm. and that's all we did. I would want to see that I'm looking at a mirror of myself. Mm. That's, that's love. Mm. right it's like some people get to be born with twins but what if we were all twins
0: Mm.
2: what if we already are right so if I could stare at you and I could be like I'm looking at a mirror myself it's it's beyond humanity it's like Mm. I'm looking at your substance Mm. you know so I I would say that additional part about love is like it's 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 beyond connectivity it's like um there's no, there's no me without you. Yeah, you know, that's that's really what love is at the end of the day. You know,
0: mm. so yeah, as you said before, great... yeah, love is God. It's, uh, we're all connected. Uh, I have to say, this has been like a masterclass. So (laughs) I want to take more of your classes, essentially. Uh,
1: That
0: was transformative and like revelatory for me. And that's why I started this podcast to have these conversations and you were bringing it. (laughs) So I'm so grateful (laughs) that I got to just listen to you today. Really, honestly, thank you.
2: Thank you. I, I really feel like, I mean, the whole part of my platform is like, And I always say this, I'm not unique. There's a bunch of people like me right now. So open up your hearts and minds. Like, there's a lot of phenomenal people who are incarcerated right now or are formerly incarcerated. It's it's okay to to start to see the humanity of people and, and the potential of people. You know, I did certainly didn't start this way but I am proof that anything is possible. If we just do the work, anything's possible. I'm really glad that you had me here. There were so many times I wanted to go off on tangents and like talk (laughs) about forgiveness and what resentments are. And like, you know, I wanted to like go off into these and maybe we'll have to do this again sometime. I was just about to
0: say, you definitely will have to come back and we can explore all of
2: those things. Yeah, but I, you know, just very happy to have this opportunity. I hope Mm -hmm. that um, something I said today will touch someone, Mm -hmm. uh, make them think a little differently about their approach or you know, maybe it just gave them a, a smile inside today. You know, I would, that, that would be great. You know, uh, I really would like for, if you can, uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram um, at Artie Gons. I have some videos on there. Uh, you could DM me, I'm, I'm open, like send you some stuff to read if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely producing this series. If you know anyone who's interested, wants to get behind something like this, mm-hmm. definitely hit me up. Uh, if you guys have guest ideas, connections people you think barack. might be, yeah. if, if you know barack please hit me up you know uh let him know he has to come on this uh, this this series with me but you guys can hit me up and follow me on on instagram and really it's like it's not just elevating the platform because egotistically that's what i want to do for myself we live in a world where you sort of have to in order to play ball yes. you know, to get that out and to make that change like there there are a certain set of rules and uh mm-hmm. So any, any help that you guys can give me on that is is very much appreciated. And it comes from love. So yeah, I, I
0: think it. if anyone got a taste of that today, they'll know that that's where it's coming from. And it's totally worth it. So please, yes, definitely follow Artie. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Wasn't that so good? Love is powerful. Definitely follow Artie at Artie Gons. I've got links to his social m- media in the show notes but has promised a brief story about synchronicity. Artie and I have been texting since we recorded this conversation, and one of the things he said to me is that he doesn't feel like he's saying anything new. He told me, I'm simply a messenger delivering an ancient message to a new generation disconnected from the wisdom of time. So basically, we all can access universal truth, the truth of love, its ancient and eternal... Artie has simply tapped into it and is offering it up to a new generation who may not realize yet that they can tap into it too. And I think one of the reasons I felt so good after talking with Artie is because his frequency tapped me back into this universal energy, this universal truth. And so synchronicities were showing up in my life everywhere, like little messages or signs of who I am validating the path I'm on. It's been honestly thrilling and like a remembering of what was always there, but I had forgotten. Because our connection to universal truth, to love, to each other never disappears. We simply forget about it sometimes. So there were all these confirmations and validations popping up in my own life since I spoke with Artie, which maybe we can talk about that another time. But. I also kept seeing Artie's wisdom everywhere, his truth suddenly popping up wherever I looked, because now I was tuned into that frequency. A few days after we recorded, it was nighttime here in New York, I was reading a book called The Dharma of the Princess Bride, What the Coolest Fairy Tale of Our Time Can Teach Us About Buddhism and Relationships. It's by Ethan Nickturn, and I must say it's an odd book for me to choose because I've never seen The Princess Bride, Uh, but something drew me to it. I had been thinking about what Artie said in the episode about hate, how it's a projection. So there I am reading, and I flip to a page in the book that says this. Our ideas of good and evil are nothing but a projection of our own consciousnesses. And I'm like, oh my god, Artie! It goes on, enemies are merely reflections of those things we don't like about ourselves. And then it encourages people to look within. It says, the world is not coming towards you, it is coming from you. So I immediately think of Artie and decide to text him a photo of this page in the book because there he is in the book while not being actually in the book. He texts back, oh my god, wow, that just gave me chills okay, cool, right? I'm seeing his wisdom everywhere, a reminder that he really is a messenger tapping into a universal truth. But that's it. I I put down my phone and keep reading. Now, just a reminder, right after Artie spoke on the episode about hate as a projection, he quickly added something like, but systemic oppression is real. So I'm reading, I flip to the next page of the book, and it says almost exactly that. Our world is full of oppression, it says. And it explains how we can't just tell someone who is oppressed to look within without holding the oppressors accountable. Again, exactly what Artie was saying. I, of course, texted Artie a photo of that too. And he said, this is amazing. Universal truth is woven into the ages. Then he texted me the word I've never seen anyone else text before, but that I use and text all the time. Mm. <laughs> That's what he texted all those ends. And then my favorite moment, he said, when you do your voiceover for the podcast, you should mention this awesome affirmation from the universe that we are on the right path. (laughs) So here I am sharing a little nudge and validation from the universe. The ancient truth of love is real. We're tapping into a sacred message and a sacred frequency. Thanks for joining me today. I hope this episode made you smile until next time, stay curious.
1: I need to know everything. Who in and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I happen to in the Porsche, I'm five on a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for ghosts. To turn to a ghost. I need to know everything now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk so i'm letting them talk gotta keep quiet maneuvering signs to let them and talk up their body another one body this is how it go i got some secrets i'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes stay in your lane how to stay on the go i came to play with the and act like a rookie, so they overlook me. Then not double up again of them nose. None of them cold. They just got lucky, but never adapted. So I'm telling the wonder if it's coming to blows. My enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything? Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I act like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop to the a Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws. To turn to a ghost, I need to know.